It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 226, The Prophet Haggai and the Resettlement. Ezra 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. All uh, Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God whom is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone in whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Isn't this reminiscent of Moses when the Egyptians gave them treasures as well? I mean, this is Cyrus, king of Persia, telling everyone who lives amongst the Jews, wherever they are in whatever localities, they're to give them treasures and free will offerings to their God. Now it's the Babylonians, the Persians. They're giving them treasures just like the Egyptians did back then. Wealth is being transferred back to the Jews to go back home and resettle their land. I love wealth transfers. It's interesting if one was to study them and how it impacts the world. Israel's being reborn and not with object poverty, but with substantial millions in rebuilding funds for roads, structures, its temple, eventually its walls. The foundation will be relayed very shortly for a rebirth. And there's a lot of parallels here as well with 1947 when Israel was reborn. There'll be substantial wealth transfers and deposits of infrastructure to get Israel going again. And this is like a, you know, a severe economic push by the by the Persians to actually rebuild this state. It's the UN which once Israel was declared a nation, it pumped millions into the state of Israel to, to get it going, get a jump start. And that's what's going to happen here. Ezra 1.7. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Mesredath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. The Bible gives a complete inventory of 5,400 articles of gold and silver. Ezra 2 continues with a breakdown of the population until we get to the following. The resettlement was not with a handful of people, with a jumpstart of 40,000 plus settlers. The whole company numbered 42,364. 
besides their over 7,000 male and female slaves. And they also had 200 male and female singers. They had over 700 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. And when they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of their families gave free will offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. And according to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 1,000 priestly garments. Now this sounds like a lot of money, and it is a lot of money. And I did the math, it appears they gave around $200 million in today's gold to build the temple. This is staggering wealth. But is it really? They donate offerings and conduct sacrifices on the foundation of the old house of the Lord in Jerusalem, but none has started any work. It will take the word of a prophet to propel them further. All right, so let's back out of Ezra, who becomes more of a kind of a, you know, a leader in this time period, but also an historian, and let's introduce a new prophet. Haggai is his name. And we don't have a lot of details on the man himself, but we know a lot about his time period. It is assumed he was, he was a prophet, of course, and he was part of the caravan to resettle Israel. And he's potentially either a, a disciple of Ezekiel or even Daniel himself. His very short book speaks volumes into this time period. And now Zerubbabel is the governor of Israel at this point, and he's needing direction, and he gets it. And in fact, this Zerubbabel would become a central leader in this time period, and many words by many different prophets give this man a strong, determinate direction to take. Haggai 1. In the second year of Darius, on the first day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Zadok, the priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? This is interesting. So Haggai is saying, you're building your own houses before the temple. What for? There'll be priorities in this rebuilding time period. The temple becomes first before you build your own house. Even Malachi will later say, give your first 10%. It's this rebuilding time period which echoes the priorities of building up a nation again. Haggai 1.5 Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on your clothes but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. So now he's implying this action of theirs to not put God first is inviting poverty upon them. Now check out the be careful repetition coming. He'll say it at least four times in his small book, Haggai 1.7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Be careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expect much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, which each of you is busy with your own house. 
Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth is crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Be careful you are under a curse because you don't put the Lord's first. That's all basically Haggai is, is saying to them. Just like Malachi again. There's a huge message in this Ezra time period. And I think this is the reason, and is the most vulnerable time period for anything is when it's being birthed or in the infant stage. Same goes for babies. Infant mortality rate in the ancient world was staggeringly high. Even 200 years ago, it was unacceptably high. And this may be the case for physical births. What about gifts that people possess? You know, so Israel's being reborn right now, and God is watching them very, very closely, and, and there's a reason for it. Say you're in school or you're a teacher. Your job is to find the gifts and talents within people and to pull them out of your class. If you're on a team at work, find what people are good at and really bring out those gifts as a team. You're going to all benefit, but this person, this specific person you're highlighting this gift in, they're going to, they're going to be able to walk into their true giftings. Say you're a gifted musician and you're in your class. Okay, take, for example, you're a, a teacher of a music class in, in high school. Um, say you see a gifted musician in your class, but he is awkward and difficult of speech. Everyone makes fun of him because they're not able to see what you see. And this person that's made fun of lacks self-esteem. And as people make fun of them, they don't want to walk into their gifting, especially in the, say, this music class, for example. They lose self-esteem. They're, they're not self-motivated to move forward because no one's recognizing or helping pull out their gift or giving them encouragement. And I believe this happens way too often in children and their gifts are, are cursed per se, or they are hidden in fear, or they're torn down by others. God has gifted his creation, and we must steward what he has put inside of everyone to bring it to full maturity. And that's a, you know, a very small example, just to, you know, maybe, a, maybe a high school music class. But in the case of Israel, be careful, be very careful is this message from Haggai. Don't give the devil any legal permission to hinder the birth of this nation into God's purposes. And, and if they slip, the enemy wants to come in like a flood, and it's at this infant stage, this early, early time period of birth where God is really watching them very carefully because he doesn't want them to mess up. And he doesn't want the enemy to have any foothold to come in to harass them or to prevent them from growing to maturity. Haggai 1.12 Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, Joshua, son of Zadok, the high priest, and the whole remnants of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Zadok, the priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Now the temple work begins. Haggai issues another word, and with magnificent promise, that will be fulfilled 
in this age, but not really. It'll be fulfilled later in the age of Herod, the arrival of Jesus, and it even could even be compared to the end. Haggai 2. In the second year of Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Zadok, the high priest, to the remnant of the people, and ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Zadok, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. And this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Things are changing, and Israel has been reborn. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tells the Rubabal governor of Judah that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth and I will overthrow royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders were fallen, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, declares the Lord. I will make you my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is a huge thing, because Zerubbabel was governor of the Persian satrap in the territory of Israel. God told him he would make him like his signet ring. It's a magnificent word of faith and empowerment to Zerubbabel. And also there's a word of great warfare coming to the world again, which we will see in the Persian Wars. Now the word progresses to the laying of the temple foundation, and we go back to Ezra here. Ezra 3. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Zadok, and his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, because morning and evening sacrifices were offered. And in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. And after that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, and as well as those brought, they brought free will offerings to the Lord. And on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had yet, not yet been laid. Then they gave money to the masons and carpenters and gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre, so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. And on the second month of the second year after their arrival in the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, son of Zadok, the rest of the people, they began the work. 
they appointed Levites 20 years old and older to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Joshua and his sons and brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, and the sons of Hananiah and their sons and brothers, all Levites joined together in supervising those working on the house of the Lord. Now this is where it gets super interesting. And I've been thinking about this scene for a while because it's so powerful. The literary device of contrast has a dramatic impact. And it's powerful. And, and in this case, it's, it, it's not exaggerated at all. It's real Hard to imagine such contradictory emotions at play in one whole scene, but it's the gospel at the same time. Here's what happened when they laid the foundation of the second temple, Ezra 3.10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and their trumpets and the Levites with cymbals took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish between the sounds and the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping. Because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far off. We conclude this episode with this scene. And when the foundation of the temple was laid, there was an exhilaration of emotions. The youth shouted for joy, while the elders wept bitterly, recalling the glory of the last temple. Where else can you find joy and sadness at the same time? It's a literal gospel. Imagine a drug addict being convicted of his sin. His sin and the shame and the devastation left in his wake would bring it, you to literal tears. It would bring him to literal tears. While at the same time, even the smallest of these that repent causes a joyous celebration in heaven. If you had a close friend who finally repented of their sins and received Jesus, the tears of repentance could become your seeds of joy in your heart for you've been praying for them for years. Those who mourn will be comforted, and it's these tears of repentance that are the beginnings of our walk with God. This life is but a drop of the reality of the eternity ahead of us. Let's take Billy Graham. Upon his death, many mourned America's pastor while he entered the gates of heaven. It's a contradictory world we live in. The elders, albeit they had to be over, over 80, cried um, and sheer sadness, repenting again for their people, while the youth of Tamar looked forward to the bright future. It was their tears which gave them perspective to never, never settle for less than the fullness of God. The temple would be miserable in comparison to its original. 220 million in gold donations wasn't even close to the six billion dollars of David's gold reserves he dumped into the temple. The interior was surely not pure gold like the original. The doors were not fully gold. They didn't reflect sunlight across the city. I believe the footprint of the new temple was about two-thirds of the size of the original. Now something does happen later that transforms Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with the helps of the likes of this generation and Nehemiah. There will be great wealth in the city again, 
But when Herod the Great becomes ruler of the future Israel, he embarks on an unbelievable building campaign, beautifying Jerusalem prior to Jesus' arrival. And while the current temple paled in comparison to the previous one, Jerusalem itself would be a marvel, like a true city on a hill when Jesus steps foot on it. Herod the Great's terraforming, engineering, and architectural projects are noted throughout history, truly making Jerusalem a city on a hill. And this will increase the glory of Jerusalem, but not exactly the temple. So when Jesus shows up, Jerusalem will be um, terraformed into this Um, If you look at pictures of Jerusalem in this time period, maybe even 300 years later, 100 years later, and then you compare it to the time period of Herod, and when Jesus steps foot on it, um, there's there's incredible um, earth-moving projects um, that makes Jerusalem um, even more of a fortress. But not just that, it it truly, he makes it into a city on a hill. But the temple, it doesn't change too much from the days when um, this generation builds it. it. It becomes more beautified, but it doesn't increase its footprint. Yet the word was the glory of the of the current will be more than the glory of the former. When Jesus steps foot in Jerusalem and the temple grounds, the glory of the present will immediately exceed the glory of the former. Not by wealth, but by the presence of the King of all kings and the priest of all priests. And when the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost, the glory of the current will greatly exceed the glory of the former. For we become temples of the Holy Spirit, and Christians become mobile arcs of the covenant and temples and carriers of God's glory all through the earth. The glory of the current greatly exceeds the glory of the former. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.